Allow me to introduce the Elder Scrolls Legends Heroes of Skyrim, the latest game from Bethesda. The Elder Scrolls Legends is a new mobile strategy card game that immerses players in the dragons, the world, and the lore of the award-winning Elder Scrolls universe. From building your deck to taking on foes in one of the game's three exciting modes, every decision you make will require strategy and careful planning. The Elder Scrolls Legends is available for download globally on both Android and iOS devices today. Welcome, travelers, to the throat of the world. And make sure to watch The Ringer's new live reaction show, Talk the Thrones. Each week, Andy Greenwald, Chris Ryan, Mother of Dragons, Mallory Rubin, and the man you're about to hear, our very own maester, Jason Concepcion, are coming to you live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7. Talk the Thrones will stream exclusively on Twitter and Periscope right after each episode ends, and can be found on The Ringer's Twitter handle, at Ringer. Our Thrones experts will be reacting at the same time as you, contextualizing the events and explaining everything that just unfolded. Again, the show is called Talk the Thrones, and you can stream it live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7 on our Twitter and Periscope at Ringer. Hello, and welcome Woo! to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line, it's my colleague at The Ringer, Jason Concepcion. Jason, press A to start talking. <laughs> I've been, Ben, I've been pressing A for like two hours. I've been holding I, it I down. I can't hear you. You're not making any sense. <laughs> you scared me for a second. <laughs> Your pressing A is not working. We cannot proceed with this podcast. I'm sorry. I, I put a rubber band on my controller to keep A pressed down for hours. It's just not working. I don't know what's going on. We're going to explain what we're talking about in just a moment here. We are talking finally today about Player Unknown Battlegrounds because we've gotten many requests to talk about this game and yeah. we just haven't yet because we've been very slow to play it and we've been envious of everyone who has been playing it. But today we're going to talk to someone who spent a lot of time with the game, streams the game, talk about some of the issues in the community and what's coming up with the game. That will be in the second segment. And we're going to also talk about Tacoma, the new game from Fulbright, in just a moment, because I just finished that before we started recording, and I have some thoughts. But first, you know, I was traveling this week, and I ran into some weather-related rerouting, (laughs) and I spent a night in a city I had not planned to spend a night in, and I resisted the urge to tweet at any airlines or complain about my travel, you're, which I was pretty proud of. Than yeah, any of us. Except now I'm complaining about it on a podcast, which is pretty <laughs> much the same. But as I was trying to make this journey home and failing for a day or so, I wanted to play Tacoma because we had gotten our review codes yeah. for Xbox One and we knew that we were going to do a podcast about it. And I couldn't because Xbox One is not a portable console. And I never would have (laughs) thought anything of this in the past. But now that I am a Switch owner, this just seems backwards. It's like I I can't play Tacoma on the road. Now, of course, you could get Tacoma for Steam, but I only had a netbook with me. I had no mouse or anything. So I didn't want to play it that way. And it's, it's not quite the same anyway. But What I'm wondering is, do you think that future consoles will feel pressure to incorporate Switch functionality? Like if PS5 comes out, if if they announce PS5 a year from now or something, and it has all the new specs and everything, and the graphics look great, and big hard drive and processor and and gigaflops out, out the wazoo, but it doesn't do portability it doesn't do what the switch does would you be disappointed do you feel like this has to be a component of every console going forward well let me first say as a caveat that we work at a place where it is possible for me to put my cons pack my console in a box uh, tuck it under my arm go to the office plug it into a television and nobody would be like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) right (laughs) so in that sense uh you know i'm different than i would imagine a lot of people but yeah like i've there's been so many times this week where i've been like i need to play this game x game for you know 20 minutes an hour during lunch or when i have a break um and it's just so there's just so many cables to unplug and you gotta roll Mm -hmm. them up and then like you know i've got the the uh, xbox s and mm-hmm. it's just not 
it's smaller, but it's not it's not carryable small. Same yeah. thing with the PlayStation, and it's just it. You really the Switch has absolutely spoiled me. Now, um, will they be able to make consoles in the vein of the Switch in that you could play them in transit? You know, with a little screen. Mm. That would I. <laughs> I think that's they have not had a th- accessories like that, yeah. right? Like definitely, <laughs> right. there were like mad cats, like there are things you things. could clip on yes. a screen. And there's a power supply. Yeah, you can do that kind of thing. But but yeah, I don't know if it's feasible because the Switch gets away with this because it's underpowered right. relative to the other consoles. So you can cram the console stuff inside the the portable. It's the same piece of machinery, and I would imagine that. That would be hard or impossible to do with an Xbox or PS4 or whatever the successor to those systems is. But I just wonder whether there will be a a kind of pressure that any console manufacturer will feel because I think if Switch is successful and it has been successful so far and people get conditioned to expect this from their consoles, then it's really going to seem like an essential thing. And, And yeah, I work from home, so I don't travel that much i don't need to move my consoles all that much but just this one instance where i needed it and i couldn't do it just felt like i was being deprived of something that i now almost take for granted i I will say that um the kind of the play anywhere uh movement from xbox where you can play certain games on your on microsoft windows um and it syncs up with your xbox yeah uh that is a kind of like a, a move in a direction to kind of answer these questions of, mm-hmm. of portability. It's, I, I would love to see a, a more portable console. I really would. It'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll be curious. The next time there is actually a, a console release, yeah. where will that be part of it? And and if it's not, where will there be some sort of backlash? Will there be pressure on these console manufacturers not to use the latest, fanciest specs because maybe people care more about the portability than they do the 4K or whatever the equivalent of that is in a year or two? Anyway, I did eventually get to play Tacoma when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> the same cannot be said for you, but no. you have a very good reason for this. Yeah. There is a glitch with yeah. Tacoma, which appears to be pretty widespread with the Xbox One version. I experienced this too, where you load the game yeah. and you see the, like, the Unity icon and the it's Fulbright beautiful. games icon. Great. It seems like you're about to be playing a video game. It's it has wonderful. all the hallmarks of a video game Feeling that is about very good. to start. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a prompt that says <laughs> press A to start. Also fairly traditional. Yeah. But pressing A does not actually no. let you start. <laughs> it does, <laughs> does not. It does not do anything. It does not. And my issue was uh, I have an elite controller. Mm-hmm. And I've had issues in the past where certain games just don't, for whatever reason, don't track with the custom customized controls of the Elite controller. Uh, Battlefield mm-hmm. One was like that. I was just having an issue where um, certain sniper rifles just didn't work. Like you couldn't aim. You, you press left trigger and the gun wouldn't come up to yeah. to your player's eye. So I thought it was for a long time. I thought it was that. So I was uninstalling uh, Microsoft uh, Accessories app and I was like mm-hmm. re doing my my settings for my controller and then I hard rebooted my Xbox and then I uninstalled Tacoma and reinstalled Tacoma and then I <laughs> went looking for my old Xbox controller which I'm pretty sure is in storage somewhere in New York City yeah. it was it was a process Ben and I couldn't re- <laughs> I, I couldn't really find a workaround I guess because you know it's not it, this is a smaller uh, footprint game there just weren't mm-hmm. a lot of discussions about yeah, the Work, game came out Wednesday. Yeah. So, right, I I had the same bug. I encountered the same problem. And at first I thought it was just a puzzle or something. I was like, oh, this is part of the game. <laughs> what do they want me to do here? I got to solve this. And I was like pressing all the different buttons right. and doing different joystick combinations. Nothing worked. Then eventually I Googled it and there were several threads about people experiencing this and several tweets about it. And there were suggestions like, yeah, hard reset and just hold down the A button. And take out the power supply, and eventually, 
those things worked for me. Some combination of them worked and I was yeah. able to actually play the game. <laughs> so I don't know how to respond to like game breaking bugs that happen right. in the first day or two. Cause like sometimes a game will come out like this and it'll just be unplayable and people will give it terrible review scores, yeah. which is like fair on the one hand because, hey, your game doesn't work. On the other hand, it's going to be patched, right? And right. and once it's patched, then you have this like two out of 10 review score locked in for all time on Metacritic <laughs> or whatever, which is unfortunate for you. Yeah. But I guess you could also say, well, make sure your games work when they ship. So there's no patch for this yet. So if, if you've encountered this and you bought Tacoma, then you are probably not very pleased with your Tacoma experience. But I was able to get past this and I assume they will pinpoint the issue and, and yeah. fix it for, for those of you who haven't yet. So I will talk about Tacoma. <laughs> I, I would love to hear about it. I should add that I did buy it on Steam, mm -hmm. uh, at which point I found out that it, it requires like a gig and something of space and I had, I had or two gigs or something like that and I have like a gig and change and it just that's all I spent well, twenty bucks on your hard drive. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um what? go on Ben, please. <laughs> all right. So this is the game, as I mentioned, from Fulbright, and you know Fulbright from Gone Home, the very influential first-person adventure exploration game that came out in 2013, and this was the game where you go home, you're overseas, you head home to your, your family dwelling, and everyone's out, and you are trying to find out where they went and what happened to them. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat sinister because it's an empty house, and it's a dark and stormy night, and everyone's yep. gone. But you piece together what has happened, and you just basically rifle through all their belongings <laughs> with uh, no concern for anyone's privacy. And you read all their correspondence and and just uh, look through their stuff, and you find out what's going on in their lives and where they are. And it becomes yes. this very emotional and meaningful narrative of, about uh, your younger sister who is coming out, and her parents are not accepting it, and they've got stuff going on at work and in their marriage, and you just gradually piece this all together. And it was very groundbreaking, I would say, yeah. at the time. And so this is the follow-up from Fulbright. And to super oversimplify it, it's like Gone Home, but it takes in place space. in space <laughs> in the future in 2088. And you are on a space station. You again show up to a deserted environment and you have to find out why it's deserted and what went on there. But there are some differences this time, not only because it's in space, you're at this lunar transfer station, Tacoma, which is anchored some distance away from the moon. But there's also this AR system, this augmented reality system that has recorded the movements and the speech of the crew members who are no longer on Tacoma. And so you can review their testimony and you can watch their conversations and, and follow their footsteps through this AR system. There are no Pokemon to be seen anywhere. <laughs> it's just purely narrative-based. And so you're going through and it's kind of a, a mystery. And all you really know at the beginning is that you are a contractor who has been hired by this corporation to go to Tacoma and do something and find out what's going on there and, and retrieve an AI. And mm. the story unfolds from there. So the difference really is that this game is a little more crowded or it feels a little more crowded because there are several crew members who were stationed on Tacoma and it has this time shifting mechanic where once you get to a, a certain spot, it'll say, okay, there's a, an AR log that's available here. And then once you activate it, you can fast forward and rewind and it shows these wireframes of the crew members. So it'll show them walking from place to place and talking and you can go back and forth and they branch off and they have their own separate conversations. And through these conversations, there are various points where you can open up supplementary information, like you can look at their desktop screen essentially while they're talking. So it's sort of the same 
premise where you are just digging into people's stuff. Like basically if if I knew anyone from the Fulbright company, I would not leave them alone in my house because <laughs> I assume that all they do is is just uh open your closet doors and, and start digging in there. Is uh so aside from the, the, the kind of real obvious uh strands that come from Gone Home, is is there anything is there anything new in the gameplay? Anything new mechanically that they've added to, to kind mm-hmm. of take it yeah. a step forward? I mean, it's mainly that replay, fast forward, rewind mechanic and the the branching paths in each conversation. So you're kind of an active participant, like you are tailing these people as they walk through these routines that they went through, whether it was 10 hours ago or a year ago. And you're you're just kind of eavesdropping and snooping on these people and trying to piece together what happened. And you can it's really up to you how much effort you devote to uncovering what has happened here because it's possible just to do the bare minimum like once you get to each section of the ship there are these various modules it's like engineering and medical and botany and you can go to all these different areas and when you do you plug in your handheld computer essentially and it Mm -hmm. downloads some stuff and while it's downloading some stuff you go off and you retrace these people's steps if you want to you can just wait for it to download the stuff and stand there and it takes like nine hours and the game is over and you can complete the game that way but that would be very unsatisfying i'm sure so it's all about this larger narrative and the characters and gradually you start to understand that there's this ai on the system i I won't give away too much here but you 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 find out (laughs) about this almost immediately there's this ai on the station called odin and I, i won't say what happens with odin but there's this kind of shady corporation and there's the ai and so there are a lot of sort of sci-fi tropes there and like a little yeah, a little alien. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And it's not totally clear which way it's going to go and whether it's going to be as nefarious as it sometimes seems like it is. But that is sort of the overarching structure of the story. And then you have the individual personalities and you, you get to know them. And, and one of the cool things I like about it is that, I mean, it is sort of a, a speculative future fiction vision of the future and so there will be things lying around like pamphlets for like amazon university like apparently amazon has like (laughs) taken over the educational system in uh 70 years or so from now but also there are a lot of magazines around so evidently the the print magazine industry still going strong interesting (laughs) in 2088 (laughs) and they're delivering how do they deliver magazines to i guess you would i (laughs) guess clear they they print out on some sort of like very glossy printer in space, I guess. And then- Could be. There's a lot of junk on the space station, so <laughs> I, I think I think they've invented space elevators. It seems like so mm. maybe they don't have to worry quite as much about hauling weight up into orbit so they can bring a bunch of junk with them. I think that's the case. So there's a a bunch of litter lying around. And much like Gone Home, you can explore all of that litter and, you know, look at all the book titles and read all the letters and pick up every object and turn it over. And some of it's just stuff. It's just clutter. But other things flesh out the story and the personalities. And so there's this environmental storytelling component to it, which uh, is always nice if you're willing to devote the time to it. And I think it only took me a, a few hours to be not counting the time I spent trying to press A <laughs> and get past the, the pe- press A screen. But uh, <laughs> so other wait, than that, yeah, go ahead. No, not counting the, the press A screen. Uh, <laughs> that adds a few end, more hours. End end, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's the, what's the runtime? I would say probably three hours, I I think it took me. I was talking to Chris Sullentrop. He said it took him four. It it depends. I I tend to take a leisurely pace with this. I think you could probably run through it if you're inclined to do that sort of thing. And there's some stuff you can do on the side, like there's billiards and darts and zero-G basketball. So if you want to just make this into a sports game, you could do that, I guess. It's maybe not the most accurate sports physics simulator but that is an option for you so there's a lot of stuff and you're just kind of a tourist on this space station and i think that 
in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's probably more fun than whatever you're doing right now as you're listening to this podcast and trying to distract yourself. I wouldn't say drop whatever you're doing if what you're right. doing is really fun and go play this game because I think maybe – the genre has advanced a little bit in the last four years or so, and although they have added this new mechanic of the branching paths and the time shifting, to me it still feels a little less groundbreaking than it did right. when I was playing Gone Home, and particularly after playing What Remains of Edith Finch, yeah. which to me is this style of game, but just much more active and interactive and varied like you're you're not just walking around and clicking on things the entire time you are doing some of that but you're also inhabiting these different characters and they're kind of mini games and different settings and that sort of variety just isn't really here although the attention to detail very much is like in Edith Finch you would see the same book titles repeated in different rooms all over the place and you won't really see that in Tacoma everything is unique but also there's a lot less variety I would say in the gameplay um I was just thinking as as you were kind of talking about the, the genre the quote-unquote walking simulator genre which is a terrible name I think everyone agrees <laughs> for this yeah. genre of game uh is stacked like yeah it, just title for title there's really not a bad entrant in the genre I'm yeah, to think about it. There's, there's no, there's no real clunkers. Like even the Witness, which is a game that just made me feel dumb, and I had to stop playing after a while, is very engaging. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's so true. Many. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't. Maybe it's harder to screw this up just because, <laughs> yeah, like, if you can write and do dialogue and tell a story, at least it's going to be good because yes. this kind of game is not as dependent on gameplay or, or graphics or or anything exactly. like that. So. I, when I was doing a story on Edith Finch, I think it was maybe Sean Vanneman or, or someone else I was speaking to said that that's one reason why a lot of these indie developers have gravitated toward this kind of game is right. A, because of the narrative possibilities, but B, also just it's easier, you know, if you if you don't have a huge studio and you can't do a, a AAA budget kind of game. There, there are ways to to cut corners with this kind of game. And it's not a great looking game. Like you spend a lot of time looking at wireframes of yeah. these people who aren't actually there. I will say that the space station is kind of cool. Like I I don't know if it's the, the best video game space station or anything, but you will be exploring all the different modules and wherever you go, there are viewports so you can get a perspective on the station and it does feel like you are actually there because you will see things rotating and shadows will be moving around the walls as as parts of the structure get you know block out the sun or, or so I, I, that at least I think helped set the scene a little bit so I I liked it but I think this kind of game is just so dependent on the story yeah. and for me it just didn't completely pay off the way I was hoping. I would say that there wasn't really the emotional connection for me with these people to quite the extent that you get in Gone Home with your sister Sam. And, you know, because I, I guess it's just it's a three hour game or so and you're you're trying to get to know several different people, which is it's nice in some respects, but also you don't get the same depth of understanding of any of these people that you would get if it were just focused on one and you kind of see where the story's going or you you know maybe one or one of two ways where where it's going and you're not sure which one but the ending doesn't blow you away or, or at least yeah. it didn't for me it was sort of one of the possibilities I had foreseen and it it happens very quickly I was surprised that the game was over when it was wow. so interesting yeah yeah, so since this is so story dependent, I just felt that it, it didn't quite have the payoff that I was hoping for. I, I enjoyed my time with it, but it didn't leave the impression that other games of this sort have. Well, I can't wait to go home and hold down A. Um, <laughs> you know, building off of uh, the previous part of our conversation, when when if this if and when the Switch ever really supports indie games. Mm -hmm. That will just push it over the top for me. I already love the console, but that would really 
that would really change things for me. Uh, the, yeah. A part of the problem is storage. Obviously, the Switch just, just doesn't have a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, if you if you downloaded a Breath of the Wild, you're basically done. Um, mm-hmm. But man, that would that would absolutely take that console to another level for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know there are a couple cool kind of you know future dystopia sort of things going on. Like the interesting thing is that it has AI in the game. It has gene filter in the gene filtering in the game. These are things that come up, but it doesn't always go in the very obvious way that you go with those things. Mm-hmm. Like you know, as soon as you hear AI brought up in a video game, you just kind of figure that it's gonna go crazy and become sentient and kill everyone and I'm not going to spoil the game, but uh, it doesn't go in the most obvious kind of hackneyed directions with those things. And you kind of get a a vision of like what AI could be like at this point if it's as sophisticated as this Odin system is. Because one of the cool things I enjoyed is that these people you're eavesdropping on are completely different when they are with other people than they are when they're with themselves. And so often they'll like be in a group conversation and they'll say one thing or they'll act a certain way. And then you can follow them as these two groups split up and one person will go back to their compartment or something and you can still keep tabs on them. And suddenly they'll be like hyperventilating or something like they were just keeping all this bottled up inside or they'll talk to Odin, to the AI, as if he is their closest confidant on their station not so much the other human yeah so it's kind of like a her sort of scenario where you know this is one way that that things could go so i think that was probably the thing i enjoyed most about the story so yeah it'd be interesting like i could see a future where that happens um Mm -hmm. the kind of like uh the legal ramifications of treating an AI like yes. a therapist are fascinating to me <laughs> and something that I think yeah. about a lot. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting aspect of this. Game. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there is some of that works its way into this, into this game too. So there are a lot of interesting ideas that kind of weave their way in there over the course of, of what is a very compact experience. Yes. So, I look forward to hearing your <laughs> thoughts on it if you yeah, so ever go, successfully go, press A. I'm going to go home and just hold out A for as long as it takes. <laughs> All right. So we will take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then we will be right back to talk about Battlegrounds. Strategy card games are fun. Online strategy card games are arguably even more fun. No, it isn't fun. A stale online strategy card game where things don't change for months and months, where you lose to the same decks week after week. Why play an online digital card game if it doesn't change? Welcome to the Elder Scrolls Legends Heroes of Skyrim, a different take on the online strategy card game. With unique gameplay mechanics like lanes, runes, and prophecies, frequent balance updates to the metagame, weekly in-game tournaments, and a new card every month, Legends is new, fresh, fair, and interesting. And Legends features something for everyone. For those of you who like to play solo, that's me, I'm an only child. Story Mode will have you immersed into the world of the Elder Scrolls universe with fully voice acted cutscenes and beautiful motion graphics. While playing through the campaign, unlock new cards and level your cards to tailor your playstyle and decks. Legends also features a solo arena mode, where you draft a deck of cards and play against various AI opponents and different game rules and conditions. Like PvP? Jump online to play a versus arena or battle mode. In arena mode, players construct their own 30 card deck on the spot, which they'll wield in a series of intensely challenging matches that offer the prospect of huge rewards. Battle mode allows players to bring their finely tuned decks against online opponents in ranked matches for a chance to top the leaderboard. Not able to jump in the game? Link your Bethesda.net account and your Twitch account for a chance at free in-game loot like currencies and card packs that you can randomly get just by watching any Legends stream or by streaming the game yourself. So whether you're a strategy card game fan or a fan of the award-winning Elder Scrolls characters world, and of course dragons, the Elder Scrolls Legends Heroes of Skyrim is available now for free. Find it today on Google Play, the App Store, and Steam for PC and Mac. And now we're joined by Al Zeidenfeld, a DraftKings daily fantasy analyst, an ESPN contributor, co-host of the DFS Edge and On the Ball podcast. He also streams video games at Twitch. You can find him at Al underscore Smizzle. Uh, Al it's great to have you here. What a weird uh, career path and bunch of interests that you have. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind. Of, I've been all over the place in my career as an adult. Uh, I was a 
worked in a family <laughs> business for a few years and I became a basketball coach at high school and college for like eight to 10 years. Then I was a professional poker player and then daily fantasy took off and so did my career in daily fantasy and being an analyst. You won a million dollars. You won $1 million. <laughs> in one day. $1.18 million to be exact. Wow. Wow. Huh. And have you continued winning money after that, or was has it all been downhill from there? No, I have. I've had like five really good years in a row in daily fantasy. I actually came in second place in the first Millionaire Maker in 2013 in December, like week 16 of that year. So I won like 450 thousand dollars that day. Jesus fucking Christ! I was Christ. the tournament player of the year in 2013 <laughs> as well. I've been profitable four of the five years that I've played, and like very profitable in four of the five years that I played, and I had one. Uh, losing year where I didn't game select properly. Mm. Uh, but the winning has far outshadowed the the losses and obviously culminating last year in week two with the million-dollar win. Describe describe games the game-selecting strategy. Uh, much like poker, you uh, much like stock portfolios, you want to put yourself in positions to have a diversified portfolio and to mm. invest in situations that you think you can be profitable in in the long term. So the year that I wasn't a winning player, I was really chasing these qualifiers to live finals. Mm. Uh, and I was putting too much of my bankroll into going after those. They're very hard to win. They're, you know, they're 100 people, sometimes 500 people, sometimes more, uh, depending on the size of the price value of the ticket and how big the prize money is in the live finals. And that was the first year there was a million dollar first prize. So I was really going high and hard after those uh, qualifier tickets for branding purposes because I wanted to be in there because it was the only way to win a million dollars at that point in time in 2014. Uh, and I was kind of out of whack on my percent of spend being spent on those qualifiers because they're it's not just top heavy. All the money goes to first place. It's like 95% of the prize pool goes first place. So it's it's like a Ricky Bobby tournament. If you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> <laughs> and well, so how did you transition from someone who is winning vast sums in daily fantasy vast. to playing player unknowns battlegrounds? Because we have gotten, I think, more requests to talk about battlegrounds than we have in any other game that we really haven't talked about on this podcast. And for good reason, it is a phenomenon. Everyone is playing it. It's a really cool concept and execution for a game and it's no mm -hmm. wonder that it's taken off and the only reason we haven't talked about it thus far is that we have old crappy computers and we're kind of <laughs> holding out for the console port basically but we are intrigued and we've been following the story of the game of course and and watching it so how did you get into it i mean and it's a work in progress too it's still in early yeah. release this isn't full release of the game so it's almost like we're paid beta testers at this point where they're mm -hmm. still updating things and building things in they've just released like a first person only mode server you could always right. like toggle to first person if you didn't like the third person view but you'd be putting yourself at a massive disadvantage to everybody else in the server that could third person and see you around corners so now they have mm -hmm. first person only server so it's just a really interesting game it's really awesome it's a huge map uh, battle Royale style, all that sort of stuff. But like I started streaming a few months ago cause I'm taking the second half of baseball season off essentially from like June, I'll play April and May daily fantasy baseball. And then I take the rest of the season off. It's something I did last year to get my mind off of the grind of daily fantasy. I don't have much content to do during the second half of baseball season, uh, to prepare myself and be refreshed for football season when I have like a ridiculously full content schedule between, you know, digital video and podcasts and articles and streams and Facebook lives and periscopes and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it worked for me last year. Uh, obviously based on the amount of money I won over the course of the NFL season last year. So I said, you know what, let me, let me try that again. And so I've had this goal to build my Twitch stream to take my periscopes and Facebook lives to Twitch, uh, because I think it's just a better platform and I think it's yeah. where things are trending for the future of online Strong media degree. if you have a brand, right? Yeah. So there's nothing to talk about during the summer. So I said, well, I'll play FIFA. And as FIFA's died down and PUBG kind of rose to prominence, I said, well, I haven't played shooters since my kids were born. Let me get back into playing a shooter game. And I started playing PUBG because it has a lot of viewers. And if you stream PUBG, you'll just pick up viewers. So it's been something that's passed the time. And I've really fallen in love with the game as well. I mean, everybody... 
everybody that plays it likes it. And people that don't play video games that have watched my stream from the daily fantasy community say, you know what? I don't play video games, but I really like watching this because the storytelling of the game itself, when you get into a mode, it's stressful and the tension builds. And like, is there somebody sitting around this corner? If you're playing duos or squads, like you you get in a, a gunfight. Okay. I see two guys and or you just you down a guy because if you're in squads as long as one person or more is alive from that squad you don't instantly kill them they they crawl they start you down them so you shoot somebody you see him go he's down there's still another one alive and i don't see him so like there's <laughs> right. that drama for the people that are actually viewing the stream as well yeah. you know can and, you can you just explain the the concept of the game for anyone who somehow sure. hasn't seen it or or read about it what is a, a round of battlegrounds like or or just explain the the visceral appeal of it okay well it's essentially a king of it's called a king of the hill sort of game a battle royale game you mm-hmm. drop into this world with only the clothes on your back and you you fly in on an airplane with 99 of your closest friends who you hope to kill in the near future <laughs> you parachute into some place on this massive map and you have to find body armor, helmets, guns. You need a backpack to carry all your stuff. You need ammunition uh, and anything else that you might need as a tool. It's very much like Hunger Games mm-hmm. yeah. where they drop you into this field and just like Hunger Games as well, the if everybody was just allowed to live on this huge map, people would live and never get into fights. So a lot like a poker what tournament as well. What kind of fun well. would that be? Right. I mean, well, that's <laughs> still how some people play the game. They go to the middle of the circle and they just sit in a corner with a shotgun and wait for you to come in front of them. If you do, they try and hit you with one shot. Uh, and they're, that's kind of frowned upon. But <laughs> the action gets forced because every few minutes, the walls of the restricted area that you're allowed to live in restricts on itself. So if you get caught outside as it restricts, you start losing health. It starts chunking your health off. So you're forced into this little smaller confined area. And sometimes there's no walls and sometimes there's no houses or rocks or trees to hide behind. So you end up kind of crawling through the grass, looking for any pixels that you can spot. And it becomes really, really stressful. And it's a lot of yeah. fun. I was watching uh, your Four Straight Squad Wins video that you <laughs> recorded about a month ago. Yeah. I must say, like, if you haven't played shooters since, you know, whatever it is, since your kids were bored, uh, you look like you haven't uh, missed a beat. Uh, you're playing with some some guys that are very communicative. Uh, are yeah. these your friends? Uh, I, I've been playing video games forever. Uh, yeah. And I played pretty competitively in my late 20s. Back when games like Tribes 2 and Counter-Strike Source and uh, Team Fortress 2 was an old favorite of mine as well. And you played on a ladder system. I was in like a gaming clan back then. And so these guys are kind of still the leftover guys from that gaming clan who I've played with for like 15 years. And they started playing this game and I started playing the game and we all just kind of... It's like, well, if you need somebody to play with, we're here. I was like, all right, yeah, come on stream. It's, you know, sometimes it gets boring to just be there in a solo and have to manage the chat and talk to the stream and try to be entertaining. And... Mm -hmm. While I, when I play FIFA, when I stream FIFA, it's very easy to be interactive with the chat and to interact with the game itself. Uh, it's much easier to be entertaining with PUBG in a duo or a squad because there's more people to be communicative with. You can't really look at the chat very often yeah. if you're playing and solos. What level of coordination are we talking about here? Like, I know that some of the, the most successful duos, I mean, they're like fathers and sons who play this game together mm-hmm. and, and are, you know, ha- have such a, a close rapport that it, it aids them in the game. But ha- what kind of advantage is that? I mean, you can drop in and play squads or duos and just get dropped into a squad if you are only playing by yourself. So you can play that way. And if you're playing with people who are communicative in game, it makes it a lot easier. Okay. You know, the zone's restricting in 30 seconds. Let's move to here. And you pull up the map that can drop a little pin on the map. Let's go to here. Uh, we can loot what's there and then move on. The more communicative you are, just like playing basketball, the better you're going to be. You know, if you have a team of, of basketball players that never says a word to each other, where the help's coming from, uh, where they see cutters, where there's a back door, anything like that, you're not going to be very good. So much like PUBG, if you're playing in squads, communication is key. Uh, but the funny thing that they've worked into this game, if you have the in-game mics set up, so if you're not using TeamSpeak or Discord or something offline to communicate with your friends, and you have the in-game chat open, 
other players that are around you can hear you talking. Oh, that's yeah. great, though. So that's if awesome. you're if yeah. they're coming up yeah. on your house, okay, let's move on in this house. I'm going in the front door, and you're inside. <laughs> you don't just hear their footsteps. Like, and we're in, we're using like a team speak. So mm-hmm. yeah, like, does anyone actually? Sh- use I hear another the... team. I hear somebody else talking. Right. D- does anyone actually still use the the in game voice chat then? And I have a couple kind of, of clips of myself yelling at people. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, for humor's sake on stream like uh yesterday somebody killed a friend of mine uh we were playing and they downed one of my squad mates and they they killed him and so i hunted the guy down ran into the same building killed that guy opened my mic and said why'd you kill my friend why did you kill him <laughs> like you can you can do stuff to make them hear you just for humor's sake or whatever yeah that's about the only time i opened my mic in game yeah. So this seems like one of those games that must produce great stories. Just like remember that time that we had this memorable round when this crazy thing happened. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about any crazy battleground stories you have from your own experience? See, that's and there's this is the rub, right? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that because this is the real rub. Oh, here we go. How much and I was talking about this with one of the guys that I play with, uh, Pin Monkey, before, you know, earlier. I said, I'm going on this podcast, and I was like, and they want to talk about PUBG, but, like, how much of telling PUBG stories is, like, talking about my fantasy, my own personal fantasy league? or it's talking be better a, than that. Yeah, or, like, be telling a bad that. beat story from poker. Like, does anybody really want to hear, oh, man, this yes! one time in PUBG, I ran up to a crate, and I got a Groja, and it was yes. awesome. You know, like... <laughs> Does anybody want to hear those stories? This is a gaming podcast. I, I agree. Okay. I mean, <laughs> like I said, you mentioned the 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 one the one day where we had the four straight squad wins. Yes. I'm not great at this game. I'm really good at well, understanding how to manage. You're a the great circle. editor of you're a great editor yes. of the of this of that video. Then I I take good screenshots, but like <laughs> I like we look at it like the A team, right? And I'm the old guy. I'm sitting there with a cigar and I'm planning things out and I love it when a plan works out right. But I'm definitely not the murderer in the group. So I try to surround myself with a bunch of B.A. Baracuses that can get out there and kill as many people as possible because, you know, in gaming terms, I'm kind of a potato. I don't make a lot of great shots. But I'm really good at managing the circle. I'm really good at, at... Understanding the metagame, knowing where people came in based on where the flight of the planes go and where the circle's restricting and where to be and what the best plan of attack is to move in. And then it's about the execution of actually, you know, firing your gun and having the bullets hit your opponents, which they're way better at than me. One of the things I noticed. Sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. So we had that four squad win. And the first two, I had like three, four, five kills. And in squads, that's pretty good. And then the last two rounds, like, we won the last two rounds, and I had zero kills in those rounds. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, when I was watching, I noticed um, just that, you know, when you play a video game, first time you play it, first couple times you play it, um, the immediate sensation, especially a multiplayer game like this, mm-hmm. the immediate sensation is, that I feel, is my brain trying to understand the space. Where am I? Mm-hmm. Where are mm-hmm. other people? Like, what's over there? How far am I from that thing? If I'm running, what am I running toward? And there's a moment, like, in your in this four straight squad wins where you guys are in a Jeep going somewhere, someone starts shooting at you, you return fire, and then your driver kind of gets turned around and is driving back towards them, and you're like, no, stop. Right. You're driving <laughs> towards the guys. And he's like, he what? Got lost. And I remember yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, like... That's to me like those are the cool moments in games like this where um, the stakes are raised enough where these really cool like interpersonal things come out where you can almost just like uh, start, you know, like being like, dude, get out of the fucking car and let me drive. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I told him to do that essentially because like you can use like control one through five and move around to different car seats. So I saw what seat was open. We were getting shot from one of the farmhouses and we were driving like south, right? And he got shot and he tried to swerve to get out out of their line of fire. And he turned and he's he's like, all right, let's just get out of here. And he had himself turned around in his own head and he was heading straight back to where they were just (laughs) shooting at us. I'm like, oh my God, stop. Just stop the car. Get Hit control four. Hit control four. Get out of the driver's seat and let me drive right now. Other than that, like basically the the equivalent of an own goal or something, like what are the obvious mistakes you can make? What are the things that the noobs do 
that experienced players don't do. I mean, there's so many really good players, and I watch a lot of them on Twitch, right? Like these guys that are like pro level gamers or just below pro level gamers where they're still ridiculously good at the game and they're excellent streamers. Mm -hmm. And I try to take a lot of the strategies that they have. And a lot of them, they move outside and they move constantly. The biggest mistake that new players to the game make is that they find somewhere where they feel safe and they sit <laughs> in a corner and they use uh -huh. third person to just look around them. And if somebody walks by, they're not going to try and kill that person. They're not going to try and engage that person or get involved, as the doc would say, uh, because if they get involved, they might get killed. And it's easy to sit in a corner in the middle of the zone in a house and just stay away from people and watch the amount of players still alive go down so you finish higher in the game. It's easy to finish in the top 20 just by hiding. You know, you can get a, get some stuff at the beginning, drop to a corner of the map, find a bunch of stuff, get a car, drive where you think it's going to be central, get into a bathroom and point the shotgun at the door and look down the, the barrel of the shotgun. And if anybody opens the door, you just blast them right? Mm -hmm. And you'll finish in the top 20, but you'll never win because uh -huh. you won't have a good enough loot to win. You can, you know, if you kill somebody, you can take their stuff and you know, you build up a bunch of, uh, med kits, energy drinks, uh, painkillers. You get better guns, better attachments, more ammo, uh, better helmet, better body armor, all that sort of stuff where you've got end game sort of equipment where the guy with the level one vest, level one helmet and a shotgun sitting behind a door does not have. And he's eventually going to get forced out of that by the zone. And once he does, he's going to have no idea how to fight somebody or no idea how to manage the terrain. So you're going to die in the game. So just get it out of the way. Drop in school, yeah. drop at the military base, drop in Pachinki if you need to work on fighting from different house to house and realizing where people are in each house, learn people's tendencies and it will make you a better player. Cause I was one of those hiders at the beginning. Cause I was scared to die. It's like, look, I can finish in the top 20 if I just hide, but I wasn't really doing anything. And unlike any other game that I've ever played coming in second or third or fourth out of a hundred people is nowhere near as satisfying as seeing that winner, winner chicken dinner across the top of the screen. <laughs> yeah. Where in other <laughs> games, it's like, Hey man, you know, if, if I finished, and I've never finished top 100 in, in weekend league in FIFA. But like if I finished like 60th in, in the world in a weekend league of FIFA, I would feel pretty damned accomplished for that week. And I would probably tell that story for years. But if <laughs> right. I come in second in PUBG, it feels more like a missed opportunity than a victory. <laughs> <laughs> How does the game change within a round as the herd gets thinned out? Depends where the circle restricts. So like uh -huh. it's uh, the random, like everybody says, you know, I got RNG. I got, you know, the random number generator just killed me. Because like as it gets smaller and with each restriction, you know, one, two, three, four, fifth restriction, being in the gas, being outside the gas hurts a lot more than it did the previous restriction. So you got to nice. move to get inside the circle. You don't want to get caught outside because you'll just die outside the play zone. So if you end up, sorry, the circle doesn't necessarily, the next circle doesn't necessarily end up directly in the middle of the last circle. So let's say there's a circle on the outside and then the circle on the inside, the next one could be placed anywhere within that circle. And it's going to be a smaller circle. So there might be a small edge of the circle and a fat edge of the circle. Uh -huh. It's more ideal to be on the small edge of the circle, but there's no way to know if you're going to be on the small edge. So if you get a beneficial restriction or a negative restriction. So if you're in a round where you get like three times in a row, you just get effed by the circle and you're on the fat side. It's going to close in faster on the fat side than the short side because it has more distance to go. So you got to move earlier and expose yourself earlier. You have more room to travel to get inside the next zone to the safe zone. Uh, so that changes the way you have to play. You know, like you have to make sure that you're in a position to be successful. You have to make sure that you have cover. You have to know where everybody else is around you. And if you're on the wrong side of the circle for one or two or three restrictions, you're just screwed. Now, one of the, the issues that has come up recently in PUBG um, is technique. It's essentially the uh, 2017 version of screen looking and they call it stream sniping. So yep. basically you have... Um, you're playing in a squad, your buddy's also streaming, and you can look at his stream to figure out where 
enemies are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been like a mild controversy. People are getting, well, it's, I, it's a controversy, certainly within the game community. People are getting banned. I don't know if you have any firsthand knowledge of it or if you've ever experienced people doing this to you, but based on how I've described it and your probable experience with screen looking in a general sense, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of stream sniping? I mean, just don't do it. I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like you're just being a troll at that point, right? You're just an internet troll at that point. Because especially with the bigger streams, like I'm not a big streamer at all. I get like, you know, on a good day, 30 to 40 concurrent viewers, you know? So like my friends will do it every once in a while. It's like I recognize their characters. I'm like, is that, is that Jim? It's like he, he's like dropping in with us, trying to like mess with us. Or like hunting us, like I'm going to drop in. He played a duo with somebody, me and a friend were playing a duo, and he was trying to find us the whole round, but he couldn't find us. Like little things like that, but like you have people that are constantly trying to get into a game with a big time streamer, knowing where they drop in, getting a vehicle to try and go to them to kill them on their stream to ruin their day, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and doing it over and over and over again, trying to get into the same lobby, dropping to a lobby. If they're not in that lobby, dropping out, trying to find them again when the next time they go into a round. What's the point? But the new one is in PUBG, now that they've added the horns to the cars, and they think they just put this out on Steam uh, in like a press release with the new update. Instead of stream sniping, people are now stream honking. So they find out where the guy is and they just drive around honking their horns. (laughs) Well, can you imagine yourself playing this game forever like do you think this will be added to the shooter pantheon and people will be playing this as long as people are playing you know team fortress or counter-strike or or games like that like can you imagine this getting old for you at any point or is the format just so reliably exciting that you could see this having real legs i mean counter-strike is that's that's a mount rushmore item right like that's been Mm -hmm. there for 20 plus years at this point yeah. Um, they're going to add new maps from what I understand. Uh, obviously it's still an early release. So you just have the one map. I think that I like knowing where everything is in the one map, but I think it would be fun to have yeah. like two or three other maps to, to shoot between. They've added a zombie mode. They've added first person and, and third person, which I guess splits the community, but they have so many gamers right now playing it that it doesn't make a difference. So it's not hurting the amount of time that it takes you to find a, a game with a full server. Um, I definitely think that it has legs. There's definitely improvements that they need to make with the close-up shooting, uh, with the loot, with the with the RNG for the loot. Like people have made different assessments. I think there's one thing that could be addressed that I th- that Sacriel put out there a while ago. I think would be a great idea. The point of the circle restricting is to force action, right? Yeah. To to put people in the same area to make them fight. Well, after like the second or third restriction, the circle is pretty, pretty small at that point. If you get into a fight right now and the timer keeps ticking, you can lose to the gas, right? Mm. So if you're in a fight where it's taking you time to find the guy and you finally kill him, it doesn't, there's no benefit to getting in a fight. So people try to stay out of fights. So if after like the third restriction, if you kill somebody, anybody that gets killed, and at that point there's only 20 or 30 people left anyway, the timer gets paused for, let's say, 10 seconds. It's not going to add that much game time to each round, maybe five minutes total. And it allows you that second, that benefit to actually getting involved in a fight and killing somebody because if the blue is about to move or the blue's moving and I kill somebody, I now have 10 seconds. I can run to their body, loot something, and get running again, right? Instead of just sprint, 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 and having it be running simulator 2017. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long is the typical round, by the way, we should have asked? If you get all the way to the end, I mean, if, if you drop in at like school and don't find a gun, the, the round is about 18 seconds. Yeah. But if you if you get all the way into the top 10 or the top five, uh, I cut out a round yesterday. I came in like third or fourth. And <clears throat> I think it was exactly 30 minutes. Uh-huh. So, it, so and squads so maybe takes yeah. longer because not a lot of people die at the beginning. So maybe thirty to forty minutes max for a full round if you if you win the whole thing. Uh huh. So it's not Rocket League, but it's no. not a huge investment of time if you just have uh, some you know a break before something else you have to do. It's short enough that you can just jump in and probably get a round in. Oh, of course. 
Mm-hmm. Especially if you're bad at the game. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, if you want to drop hot, quickly. if you want to go into yeah. a populated area, those rounds might take like. It, I look at it like, look, I'm going to go where all the guns are, and I know that the people are going to go there too. And I'm like I said, I'm not the best player. I'm nowhere near it. But if I can walk out of that spot, I've got great gear, and it's going to be a fun round. And it's more entertaining to watch as opposed to Absolutely. just watching me drop where nobody is. Yeah, It's like, at least if I drop somewhere like military base or school or Pachinki or somewhere that's populated or crater, you know I'm immediately going to get into a fight. So as a viewer of a stream, you have to like that. And if I die, I'm going to go right back and get into another fight. Or I'm going to get stuff and now there's 50 people left in the round and now we're having some fun and moving to the, fi- to, to the next fight just more ten- more entertaining to watch that way and so al what happens when the football season is right around the corner it's already ramping yeah. up um what happens to your video game hobby at that point that's the first question second question mm-hmm. uh give us some fantasy sports tips fair <laughs> enough uh let's see last season i started playing fifa at the beginning fifa is always like it's my first love right now in terms of video games and like once it releases i can't wait for the new version to come out i'm still going to stream that probably some pack openings try and qualify do some short stuff but i already have scheduled on my content calendar a bunch of like daily fantasy streams one right before nfl kicks off on sunday one every friday at noon uh, for, for Twitch subscribers and, and maybe a recap stream every Monday going over what I got right and what I got wrong. I'll find some time to stream as well, you know, an hour or two a day here or there where I can. Uh, and I kind of, I've looked at my calendar, figured out where I can do it. It obviously won't be as free as my calendar is now when I have absolutely nothing and no content to do other than a couple of podcasts here and there, but I'll, I'll definitely keep it in the rotation because people like it. It's easy content to put out. Uh, and it's a great way to interact in a different way from being like, you know, buttoned up on ESPN. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, here I am pointing at a, a touchscreen wearing a suit as opposed to I'm just messing around with some friends playing video games. It's like I'm, I'm no different than anybody else in that aspect. I like the same things that everybody likes. So, like, why not just, you know, why do I have to play video games in a, in a closet? So, it's like, well, if people want to watch, they can watch. If they don't, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think uh, I'll definitely keep streaming some PUBG uh, and definitely stream FIFA once that comes out. In terms of fantasy, like daily fantasy tips? For the NFL. For say. the NFL? The one thing that I preach most, uh, I'll keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Pick cheap quarterbacks. You don't have to go bottom of the barrel, but you don't have I to like pick it. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers on a week. Pick some. I pick like, like pick like the 10th best quarterback on the ranks for that week, and he's probably like really cheap on DraftKings, like 6K. Uh, pick a guy in that range, pick running backs who are getting a ton of volume guys are going to get 20 plus touches that week against a bad defense, right? Pick on the three-legged wildebeest in the herd. You don't have to pick on the strongest one, right? The lion's never looking for that in the Serengeti. He's always looking for the three-legged wildebeest that he could take down easily. Wide receivers, you want volume as well. Guys that are going to get 10 plus targets in a game. And the majority of the team's red zone looks. And if you have a great cornerback matchup, go with that as well. Same thing goes for tight ends. And pick a defense going up against a quarterback that tends to get pressured a lot. A bad offensive line. Those four things will lead you to a lot of success in daily fantasy. And it keeps it very simple. Do you find that there's much crossover between these communities? Between fantasy sports players and gamers? I mean... To a degree, yes. I mean, there's obviously some... I mean, what well, the old adage was fantasy sports are Dungeons and Dragons for jocks. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's definitely the people that play video games like myself and loved fantasy sports and played sports. So there's definitely a crossover in that Venn diagram, like you guys were talking about before the show. And yeah. there's people that play video games that have no idea about sports. There's people that play fantasy sports that have no idea about video games. But there's definitely that cross-section of the two that exists. And I guess mm-hmm. I'm kind of appealing to that cross-section. Yeah. Well, how do you set yourself apart from other Battlegrounds streamers other than, I guess, that you have this audience of people who are also interested in fantasy sports? But as you mentioned, a lot of people stream this game. It's competitive. Mm-hmm. You are not the best Battlegrounds player. So mm-hmm. it's not as if people are, are tuning in to see the most elite player that they could possibly watch. So mm-hmm. how do you try to set your stream apart or to liven up the, the game further? I mean, I 
think that my stream is very much like I'm the normal guy. I'm uh -huh. just like you. I'm making the same pop culture references that you get. I watch all the same shows. Like a lot of the the cross talk between me and my chat centers around, hey, let's talk about what happened in sports today. Let's talk about, you know, did you watch Game of Thrones the other night? Did you, uh, what movies have you seen? Did. What did you think about this? <laughs> you did, yeah. See? I did like, not. I, no, I didn't watch it. So. You, there <laughs> is no way. It. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> exactly. So like that's where a lot of the chat conversation goes uh obviously some of the talk comes down to like what happened at that point in time like i i tend to break things down strategy wise when it comes to any of the games that i'm playing whether it's rocket league or fifa or, or PUBG, because from a strategy perspective i'm pretty good uh i'm better at fifa than i am at PUBG in terms of gameplay but like in terms of strategy i understand what's happening and i can communicate that very well to people that aren't strategy experts at the game and i think that that's where the appeal is for people that are watching and i try to be entertaining i try to be funny i've got some funny cut scenes that i use with the with obs uh like the pan the pan is the best thing in the game why can't they make like the helmets out of the material that pans are made out of? <laughs> <laughs> can i get a level four helmet that's made out of a pan because <laughs> that would make a lot of sense nothing obliterates the pan just dress me all in pan armor yeah, why can't fine. you why can't you craft like a like a a vest out of a pan or like three pans and like duct yeah. tape? Why can't I just pick up more pans and like okay, one's on my butt, put one on my chest, <laughs> put one tape one to the back of the helmet, one on each ear. This is, this is a weakness in PUBG's crafting uh, yes. crafting mechanics, I think. <laughs> we spent a lot of our time in the in the drop in lobby where everybody's just shooting guns, trying to like. See, like we've shot cro the crossbow goes right through the pan, but doesn't hit your body. I love it. We've done things around corners where we'll hold the pan out if somebody's like shooting at us and looking at us. As soon as we peek around the corner, we'll like throw the pan out around the corner and they'll shoot the pan because they think it's your head from distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wish you uh, better crafting. I wish you pan armor. Uh, we've been talking to Al Zeidenfeld. He's a DraftKings Daily Fantasy analyst. He contributes to ESPN. It's a couple podcasts, DFS Edge and On the Ball Pod. You can find him at Twitch for his video game streams at Al underscore Smizzle and on Twitter at Al Zeidenfeld. No space. Al, this is really fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right, we have come to the end of the episode. And yeah, we were just saying off air that some listeners have requested that we just yeah. chat more. They just want to hear us chat. Just of course. Wanna, <laughs> just want to hear us talk to each other. And uh, we, we want to do that too. It's just that we want to talk to so many other people too. There are just true. so many other interesting video game people. And we only have this one episode a, a week to, yep. to work with, this one precious piece of airtime. So we always are trying to make the most of it and, and talk to people who are creating games because that's always fascinating. Yep. And neither of us covers games full time too. So we are kind of targeting the things that we want to talk about each week. And if you asked us about something else, we might not know what you're talking about. So I wanted to mention one last thing before we go. Did you read about the company that is bringing back the original Xbox controller? It is, <laughs> it's called Hyperkin. It's, a, it's an accessory maker. They're bringing back the original Xbox controller. They're calling it the Duke. It's basically a, a perfect replica of the 2001 Xbox controller that we all played Halo on, except that the circle in the middle that had the green Xbox logo now has like an LCD screen that shows an animated logo, which <laughs> yeah, I, sounds, I love that. I love that it's big like enough to put, a, put a, an LCD animated <laughs> screen on. <laughs> yeah, that thing was huge. huge. I don't want this thing to be brought back. I mean, to each his or her own, and if you have big hands, and this controller worked for you, then don't let me stand in the way. But this controller was way too big for me. And I still, I still have small, like pretty Trumpian hands at this <laughs> point even. But especially then when I was, whatever, 14 and yeah. trying to play Halo and had not even hit a growth spurt or anything and had tiny, like 10-year-old person hands, 
this thing was just too much controller for me to handle. So I will not be picking up a replica 2001 Xbox controller. Listen, uh, I'm a small human being, and that <laughs> thing just made me just destroyed my self esteem when I got my yeah. first Xbox. Me too. Uh, it was just bad. And you know, I, what is the? I believe that. Um, this might be apocryphal, but I believe the reason it was so big was because the original designer just had huge hands. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But... It seems like something you would want to do some testing on. Right. Like maybe just have a, a larger <laughs> sample than a single person if you're doing a console release. There's got to yeah. be more to that story. But yeah, yeah maybe just Microsoft employees. You know what they say gigantic. about Microsoft people. Yeah. Big hands. I've heard I that. <laughs> All right. So we will be back next week. Enjoy your gaming until then. Yep. I will talk to you then. Press A, everyone. Press A for as long as you have to. Reintroducing The Elder Scrolls Legends Heroes of Skyrim, the latest game from Bethesda. The Elder Scrolls Legends is a new mobile strategy card game that immerses gamers in the dragons, the world, and the lore of the award-winning Elder Scrolls universe. From building your deck to taking on foes in one of the game's three exciting modes, every decision you make will require strategy and careful planning. The Elder Scrolls Legends is available for download globally on both Android and iOS devices today. Welcome, travelers, to the throat of the world.